Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is a special bonus episode of the show in which we're going to recap our favorite films of 2020. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest films coming to a streaming platform near you. But this week, of course, as I just mentioned, this is our yearly episode that we've done um, if you go to the website, you're only going to get like the last several years because, you know, due to some transitions um, that happen with our hosting companies and stuff, you know, episodes have fallen to the void. But this is a yearly thing. It's a big tradition for us where we go, we get together. Steven and I do not know what our top 10 lists were. We can't possibly fathom anything that could be on them. Nope. We're doing it all in real time. <laughs> Yeah, we're doing it live. And I will say last year, I took pride in predicting your list and giving you some very specific predictions about how many films we had in common and things like that, um, which I was close. I wasn't exact, but I was close. I didn't even try this year. This was yeah. just such a wild year. I I refuse to take a guess, except I'm pretty sure I know what your top three will be, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out <laughs> if I'm correct or not. Yeah. Jamie was asking me if I, if I had a... like. She was like, what do you think Steve's number one is going to be? I was like, I-, I can tell you what I think it should be, but I can't even imagine in a million years what anything on the list will be. I mean, there's definitely things yeah. where I'm like, I'm pretty sure this has to be on like our list somewhere, but this is just, it's it's been a really weird we- year. Like everything is backwards, you know? Yeah. We only had a few months this year where we actually got to see things in theaters we got to do a festival this year, but it was completely remote. Or I guess we did a couple festivals. And I think just everything has been thrown off in a way that kind of like, even sitting down to make, I mean, I, I say it every year when we get to our list, where I'm like, eh, I had some stuff up here and then some other things. And it's like, this, even, even the task of sitting down to make an end of your list felt, felt just wrong <laughs> in a way for me right. this year. Did, did, did you do the thing because I did this for the second year now where I went through and listed every single movie I watched just so I could like start to pull stats and then start to rank them and figure out. Did did you do that too? So like like everyone, I use Letterboxd. Um, but I don't I don't actually rate things on there. I just I just heart things that like I really, really liked and then everything else I just log when I saw it. So I basically spent like a couple evenings trying to connect to every streaming service and figure out how to find histories of things and just make sure everything was marked in there. And then luckily for several of the months I did, I had hearted a number of things and I kind of, I make that list of these are all the things that were hearted. Um, For me, it was only like 19 things. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean, really I could just cut that list in half, sort it in any order and I have a top 10 list. Um, But I definitely was like, all right, I know, I know one through three. As, as Stephen has has claimed to secretly know, um, and I know some other things that I would like to be in the list somewhere, and I kind of went one, two, three, ten, and then started fiddling with the things that are sort of in between, and then checked to see if I wanted to move anything from the didn't make the cut list and the made the cut list, um, and also there are some things outside of that nineteen that I had hearted but I was never going to like actually have them in contention for an end of your list. It was just sort of like, Oh yeah, I, I genuinely enjoyed myself. Um, but yep. yeah, that's, that's sort of, sort of what I did. And I did find some things that I totally forgot existed 
<laughs> I, yeah, I'm afraid there are things I forgot existed because I I went by Letterboxd like pretty much exclusively. I assumed I was good about documenting this year because it seemed like I was a completist. But then, like after I had already done that and ranked everything and made a list, I realized there was one movie I definitely wanted in my list that I forgot to put in Letterboxd. So for all I know, there are like ten more like that. that yeah, yeah. That like I only remembered by luck at the end. Um, yeah. So stats wise. It's been a weird year. Like last year, my total number of movies, including rewatches, were 130 that had like come out that year. Um, and of those, 10% had been at home, 10% had been on planes, 37% had been in festivals, and 43% had been in theaters. This year, my total number is actually higher than I thought because like we didn't see as many things really. Yeah. But it was 95 total for me. Um, again probably i'm forgetting a few <laughs> i have no idea hopefully i'm not forgetting any that would have been in my top 10 um it's like the one that would have been number one that you're like holy shit <laughs> yeah of those seven were theatrical uh zero were on planes 74 were at home and another 14 were at home festivals <laughs> so it, it, it's been a year all about the home uh planes had a bad year unfortunately now did things get the covid bump rather than the airplane bump Probably. We'll, we'll see. But it's definitely a different different vibe this year. Yeah. It says, I mean, just looking at Letterboxd right now, my, my diary entries is 110. But some of those are definitely repeat watching of things. And some of those are definitely things that are outside of 2020 that I just right. watched by chance. Um, so I don't... I, I didn't do the homework to find out what my list was actually comprised of. Um, yeah. But it is... It well, is there are also a few movies that you saw this year that I saw at Cannes or something last year. Yeah. So like, I, I'm also not allowed to count certain things that you might. So I understand if our lists are a little bit different. Yeah. But technically, if you didn't put anything in your top 10 list the year before, you could include it this year if you had sure. seen it. So it, it's kind of, it's kind of, and also, I mean, historically, Stephen, we know you've cheated on your list many, many times. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. I'm going to cheat tonight too. Like we're, <laughs> we're definitely cheating. That's, that's a given. <laughs> Now, oh. I'm, I, I'm often coming from the other direction as you were. You usually say, you know, you had a few that needed to be on the list. You had others you liked and you turned it into a top 10. And for me, I always make a list of things that like I absolutely want to be able to shout out. That doesn't mean they all are top 10, like will definitely be in the top 10, but they're all like in consideration. And this year, that short list was about like 24 movies. So I actually, it took a while to trim it down. And yeah. I... I started working on my write-up because in my written one, I cheat and do pairs of movies so I can do 20 instead of 10. Yeah, yeah. And even there, there's like a few sacrifices that I feel I feel really sad about. <laughs> so do, do you actually rank them all the way out to as far as you can get? Like, or do you, do you just say in or out and then order? Yeah, I say in or out. So I've, Chris, I've gotten very good at spreadsheets this year. <laughs> For some reason, I've needed to do a lot of like Google Sheets that have like checkboxes and drop down menus and automatic filtering and sorting and counting of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for every movie, I did do like quality buckets of like bad, okay, good, great. And then I had a checkbox for a top 10 and I had a checkbox for write up. And I just went through with all of those and then that gave me a candidate list and then I like move them around and then it warns me if there are like ones that I said were going to be in there that didn't make it in so I can like sanity check that I got everything that I wanted to get. <laughs> it, it is going to be funny if like as we go through our list, 
where like you you call out your next one and the other person goes shit <laughs> i forgot i, I, I expect it to happen at least once like yeah. i i am so convinced now that there's a few movies i forgot to list in letterbox just because like i'll tell you when the movie comes up that was definitely going to make my list that i 100 percent forgot about until yeah. like not long before recording and then you you didn't you didn't like call an audible and just like throw it in at the last second no, I did. It's in here now. Oh, okay, gotcha. But you, but you, when you say <laughs> yeah. that one, you will announce that it is the one that you almost forgot about. Yeah, and it's not like number ten or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I hope it's one you like. Literally watched like this weekend or something. <laughs> Wouldn't it be hilarious if it became my number one, <laughs> like my number one movie is the one I forgot I watched? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it. I, I I wouldn't blame you, blame you, Stephen. This has been yeah. just. A weird, I mean, 2020 is the year that theaters died, and uh, we've been mourning that right. loss for so long that it's hard to remember um, what exists anymore. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. But one thing I found about 2020 especially is, so in theaters, you and I are both pretty much purists, right? We don't get up to pee. We don't use our phone. We adamantly hate people who use their phone in the theater. <laughs> like, we're pretty, we're pretty devoted. I'll, I'll be honest. I kind of hate people who get up to pee, too. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and that is even if we're in festival mode where you're doing back to back movie, 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 it's still like, you know, pee before the movie, pee after, have someone else hold your place in line. Like, it's fine. Um, yeah. Home viewing me, especially during the pandemic, is a terrible, terrible audience member. <laughs> I, my phone is a constant temptation. Even when I love a movie, I catch myself like suddenly checking my email just out of like instinct to like grab a thing. Um, I get distracted. I go make a coffee and pause and unpause. Like I am not the kind of pure film viewer that I would be in theaters. And I think that informs the movies that I pick. Like I think the movies that worked for me are ones that broke that, like the things that it isn't that they didn't require my attention, but it's that they like they either earned my attention or they learned how to like continually move me even when I had distractions happening everywhere. Which, yeah, yeah. which is interesting. Like it I will never know what my list would look like in a world where I could have seen the majority of these things in theaters. <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean I, I definitely feel you as far as like the sort of lax nature of being the watcher. I mean, I still try to be good. Um, but I'm definitely like you know, I might have made dinner. I'm sitting on my couch eating it. And then maybe I spill some of it. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, shit, I need to deal with something. Or because of the way the timing's working out, you might, you know, place a DoorDash order and start your mm -hmm. movie and then have to interrupt the movie in order to go get that food. It's uh, I mean, it's not really that different than being at Alamo, right? Except for sometimes you have to go a lot further to get the food. <laughs> the food doesn't come to right. you. <laughs> my big dilemma is like, let's say I'm I'm thirsty and I finished my drink, and I want to pour something else. Now, would I rather pause the movie and then break, like, the rhythm of it? Or would I rather keep the movie playing and just, like, walk in the kitchen and mostly be paying attention, but maybe, like, I don't see it as clearly as I would have if I were still sitting there? <laughs> I've, ne I've never learned if it's better to let it run or pause it if I have to get up and do something for 30 seconds. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of it kind of depends. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not uh, giving you the proper adjudication here. But like, basically, I, I think for me, you have to take it by what the scene is, right? If it's a scene of mm. pure exposition that doesn't require watching diagrams drawn on a board or anything, right? Um, it's something that I think you can 
you can, you know, you can kind of step away for a second, especially if like, if you're still listening, that's the thing is, I mean, like we've, we've watched a lot of stuff this year in headphones, which means yep. we can divert eye attention without losing the, the auditory, um, the part of the film. And I think, you know, everybody's got to do what they do. You know, maybe next year after vaccines happen, we can go back to being good, <laughs> proper film watching yep. people. But I think for now, um, I mean, hell, like just two weeks ago, I, I text you 15 minutes into uh, something that I was watching. So, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I, I felt like that was, yep. I, 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 I had to let you know that I was vibing with what I was watching. And it, I think that was a, that was a worthy interruption for that. Also, no, it was, it was important. The type of film that that is and what it's doing, I think allows for those type of interruptions. Um, yeah, you're, you're just hanging out with the movie. Yeah. yeah. I did, I did just look at my list and all but two of them I watched with headphones and one of them I rewatched with headphones. So there's only one movie in here that I did not have headphones for. And that one I saw in theaters. I'm scrolling through my list, scrolling through my list. And I'm just two, two movies I didn't have headphones for. <laughs> I think it is quite possible that only one of these movies I didn't have headphones for. Hmm. Interesting. But we'll find out what that film possibly could have been. <laughs> yeah. Can I make a prediction? <laughs> of, of which one it is? Yeah. Um, is it a city east of Los Angeles? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Not going to give anything away. Wait. Oh, I guess there's things that could be on the list that I didn't wear headphones for, but I did not see in theaters. Right. Okay. In my head, I was thinking it was either headphones or theaters. And then I... No. Then, see, I'm thinking of things that I know your significant other saw as well. So I assume headphones might have not been involved. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, I'm picking up on what you're putting down. That's why it threw me off for a okay. second. I was like, what? What are you talking about? Um, yeah, I'm not, not going to spoil anything. <laughs> yeah. No spoiling. No spoiling. But anyways, Stephen Miller, I think it's time for us to dive in to our top 10 films of the year. Um, I mean, briefly, do you just want to, I keep calling it top 10 for me personally, it is my favorite 10 films of the year. I would not argue that they are better or worse than any other films on anybody else's list or in existence. This is not a hundred percent my endorsement of you will like it as much as I did, but this is my personal favorite list of the year. How do you comprise your list? Yeah, I, I came closer to that this year than most years. Like with the caveat, there's always one or two things that I throw in partly because I have a feeling they won't be on your list and I feel excited to talk about them and bring them up. And maybe in a world where there was no other person in the podcast, I would, I would shuffle slightly what goes in and what doesn't go in. Um, But no, usually lately, like I let the written one where I can fit more movies. That's where I try to think like, what are things that I thought were generally good? And like, if there are genres that I didn't pay attention to, maybe I'll throw one of those in there for this one. It, it really is mostly just a, these are the 10 things that meant the most to me this year. Yeah. I really didn't do a lot of shuffling or thinking about like whether there's a certain vibe or emotion that I'm not getting enough of that I need to swap in or out. It's kind of just like, here's the 10, deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe here's the nine and then here's the one because number 10 always has to be a fun one. Yeah, and I think that that's sort of the key for me is is meant the most to me because there are definitely things that like I wouldn't argue are better than things that I shoved off the list. But it did something 
that made me think like at the end of the year go like yeah that movie did x really really well and i just love it for doing that um yep i i will say too some of these movies are growers in the sense that these weren't all the movies where the moment they ended in my head i was like that's it that's number x of the year it, it's really every movie in this list like left some kind of image or impression on me that even now when i think about it i can like be transported back to it yeah, yeah. like there are some movies i loved that just didn't leave an impression that i could remember a couple months later and they might have been great but <laughs> you they might just call your number one <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> they might be great but they just yeah the things that mean a lot to me always have a little bit at least that are hook me in when i think about the experience of watching them yeah cool um well i'll, I'll try not to do any more digressions here let's just get into it steven why don't you start us off and let us know what your number 10 film was all right. Uh, my number 10 film, uh, I'm going to say this is my American Honey of the year. Uh, and that is a little film called Baby Teeth, uh, which was an Australian film. Uh, came out in the U.S. kind of early this year. I only caught up with it last week, so I was relatively new to it. Um, this is just a fantastic movie. Uh, you could say it is kind of the darker version of Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Like it's centered around a... Uh, a young woman who is uh, dying of cancer uh, and her parents don't really know how to address the situation. Uh, but what it really is, is just a portrait of people who are grieving and confused and are trying to take control of their lives. Um, this actor, Toby Wallace, plays a kind of problematic, maybe 22-year-old or 23-year-old boy who starts hanging out with their underage daughter. And he is very, very similar to characters like Shia LaBeouf, controversy deeply noted in American <laughs> Honey, um, people who kind of represent this darkness, this danger, but also a kind of pure expression of love and hope. And this movie just got me so good. Uh, the parents are played by Ben Mendelsohn and Essie Davis. They're both just fantastic in this movie. It it kind of sneaks up on you. It feels like just a straightforward drama for a while. And then there are moments that just like really, really punch you in the gut. Uh, and yeah, I, I would encourage you to check it out. I heard that this movie is going to be very depressing and I actually found it lovely and totally not depressing at all. Huh. Yeah. I remember the title and the poster for this movie. Um, was this a thing that was at one of the festivals or no? Probably. I, I'm sure it was a festival release at some point, but not like TIFF. I think it would have already gone kind of wide by then. Gotcha, gotcha. But yeah. maybe last year, actually, it was at one of those festivals. But yeah, this is not a film that I saw. So obviously it does not appear on my list in any location. <laughs> yep. But there is something that does appear on my list, Stephen, and it appears in the number 10 slot. Um, and that is the film The Vast of Night, um, mm. which is a film. I mean, th this is definitely a film that fits into that category of like, it does something that I really, really love, but it's not a perfect film. Like I had a number of complaints when we watched this film, but what this film does is it transports me back to my love of the X-Files and like that style of storytelling and a very, very simple sci-fi sci story where there is something strange that is happening and there are normal people just experiencing it. And it's not, it's not like, a super elaborate film. It's really just people talking. It's about um, some people that work at a radio station uh, receiving a signal and, and basically going on like a little mini 
investigation to try to figure out where the signal is coming from and what it means. And uh, the places that this film does go and the people you meet just just takes me back to like 90s sci-fi television in in a, just a beautiful way. And like, I still think back to it fondly, even with some of the complaints that I had about it. And I just, it's it's a really fun film, a throwback film, and I love it for being that. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I, this did not make my top 10 list, but it was one of the checkbox of make sure this is in my top 10 list <laughs> movies. Um, <laughs> I, I I thought there was so much like wonder to this movie that I enjoyed as someone who would never watch the X-Files. Like I have no history with those things, but kind of like Super 8 did for Spielberg-y type movies, this really brought in the kind of sense of possibility and excitement that exists in the world in a very throwbacky way like the the fact that the two lead characters are both young people in a town that is very kind of sleepy and mostly uninterested but then they have this like curiosity this inquisitive spirit and the movie just teases you with like hey behind any door like in any radio frequency there could be something waiting and yeah i i, I really loved it i thought it was super 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 well done Cool. Um, well, that is both our number 10s, Baby Teeth and The Vast of Night. Uh, Stephen, why don't you kick us off with your number nine? Uh, my number nine is a movie that I will fully grant this is a COVID pick. Like, I have no <laughs> idea how it would have hit me in a world where I was not stuck inside for, you know, 80% of the time. Um, and that is a film called Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Uh, this is a semi-documentary semi-fictional movie the creation of it is kind of interesting and we could talk about that some other time uh but what it is about is a dive bar in old vegas that is closing and the regulars nearly all of whom are clearly alcoholics uh, are spending one last night celebrating the bar um this is a really, really great hangout film, uh, arguably the second best hangout film on my list tonight. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's a movie that like all I can say is it made me miss the world. Like, it, like this is a movie that really captures the feeling of being in a place surrounded by people. They're drinking, they're sharing stories, they're having fake philosophic discussions that if you were sober would sound like cheesy and overblown. Um, it is people just being together and finding community in each other. And it captures something about the sense of being surrounded by people in a noisy bar and it's way too late and you should probably go home and sleep, but like you just have to stay there anyway. And it, I, I found it just really, really, really moving and special. And it, I, I thought it was a beautiful time capsule that like is not really true. Like they cast people, they cast actual people who are actual bar flies at actual places, but they brought them to a specific location to film this one night together. And it, it it's one of those things where like, even though it isn't true, it felt like more true than any real documentary could have. It just captured something really, really, really wonderful. And yeah, it, it hit me in a really hard place. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had not even heard about this film until you mentioned it. Like four nights ago or whatever it was. <laughs> um, but it definitely sounds just from what you're describing. And if I compare it to maybe another Hangout film <laughs> that we were just hinting at a little bit ago, it seems like something that I would probably enjoy. Uh, I do have a question for you regarding it, though. Um, yeah. ge generally, when you talk about things getting the COVID bump or feeling feeling like it is like a COVID film that like you enjoy it more because of COVID, 
is it just because the condition under which you're watching it or are you just nostalgic for being able to go to a bar and drink <laughs> in this case i think the nostalgia plays a big role i think it is specifically the fact kind of like on the rocks is an example where like the new york depicted in on the rocks i felt extra nostalgic for it because they are out and about surrounded by people they're going out and drinking and you kind of take that feeling for granted until it's gone uh, so yeah, yeah they I, I think it isn't only the fact that I'm at home and my emotions are more like sensitive or more heightened. This is really about like capturing a special thing about the world that I have been missing for a while. Yeah. Makes sense. I should mention too, the characters are total alcoholics. They don't, <laughs> don't think I am one of them necessarily by the fact that I miss it, but I still, <laughs> you'll, if, if you uh, watch it, you'll, you'll get it. There, yeah, there's yeah, something I, in it for everybody. Even if you are not one of those bar flies. <laughs> I, I, I got you. <laughs> Well, he I, says as he takes a sip of his 12% beer. <laughs> <laughs> we still got a long episode to go through, Stephen. You got to pace yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I did not see this film um, that you were talking about, your number nine. But I did see my number nine, uh, which I think thematically is maybe a little bit relevant to this. Um, I, I, th- I think every year there is a film where if you just look at the description of the film, it seems like a little bit of a joke. Um, and I go into it preparing myself for that joke and what i get is actually a very very interesting film that while still being high concept is also incredibly deep emotional and a film that really really speaks to me and uh that film is another round uh, <laughs> which is a film that we saw at one of the festivals this year and it is currently available for uh rental and streaming i think on amazon um or maybe yeah. Anywhere. I don't know. I, if it, I, I know it's widely available because everyone seems to be discovering it in the last couple of weeks. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, this is a fantastic film. And uh, basically the premise is uh, for teachers who are sort of like in a little rut in life and in their teaching careers. Um, hear about a man who has a belief that uh, all uh, humans basically are born with a deficient level of blood alcohol. And um, in order for us to perform at our peak levels, you need to basically constantly be inebriated. (laughs) And uh, these four teachers embark on a journey to prove this statement factual and uh, maybe experiment with the tolerances at which performance might be hindered by alcohol. (laughs) Um, This is a fantastic film. And I I had an amazing time with it. And I also cried. So it's just, it's, 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 it, it basically checks all the boxes um, in the best way possible. And uh, some uh, great Mads Mikkelsen in it. So. (laughs) Oh, Mads is so good in this movie. Funny enough, I almost made a no documentary or semi-documentary rule just so I could make my number nine be another round instead. It like almost <laughs> made the cut in my top 10. And then I also felt like I already have one alcohol movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love And that was one of those things that in, in general, going to a festival remotely is not the same thing as being in person. But one of the things it did still carry was that surprise, right? Of just like watching a film where you were expecting nothing. Yeah, yeah. In, in this case, I thought it was going to be like a just deeply depressing Danish movie, right? Yeah, yeah. And then it wound up being a movie that is like, like you said, it's interesting and poignant and a whole lot of fun and actually moving. And it has one of the best ending sequences of the whole year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Another round is awesome. And it's really cool that people are finally getting to catch it. All right, uh, so that is going to bring us to our number eights. Stephen, why don't you kick us off? 
Uh, my number eight is uh, a movie that was polarizing. It was definitely a polarizing movie. It was a movie that when it ended, even I didn't totally know what I thought about it yet. And it kind of gnawed at me for a few days. I wound up rewatching it again later, uh, at least in pieces, just to start to put together more of it. And the more I watched, the more I loved. And it kind of just was this haunting thing that I couldn't let go of. Uh, and that is Charlie Kaufman's movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Um, it I, I just couldn't shake it. There are so many images in this movie that still conjure so much about 2020 for me uh like jesse buckley staring out a window reciting a poem snow is falling everywhere it's starting to like fog up the windows and there's just the, this movie is all a vibe it is like a person's neuroses just being put on the screen like a meditation on loneliness on who you are in the eyes of other people how can you be accepted what does it mean to be loved will you ever be enough how do you define yourself there's so much there and it is so defiantly weird and sad and its own thing and i don't know i i just couldn't shake this movie i'm gonna say it's the only movie on this list that i don't i don't know why i love it i just know that it it haunted me um yeah and there's not really a whole lot to say about it because it is a strange movie and it's probably better to go in not knowing anything about what is going to happen uh but yeah <laughs> it, it, it really blew me away and i i couldn't leave it off this list yeah um, yeah, you, you mentioned it being polarizing and I think it was definitely polarizing on our podcast. Um, I, I, you're right. This film is very much a vibe and I was vibing with it for a lot of the film. And I think I grew, um, tired of it. I don't know if I would have grown as tired in a theater, um, if it was possible to see it that way. Um, or if being at home allowed me to be more alert for it. Uh, but it's definitely a film mm -hmm. that, I like a lot of what it's doing and then it does too much of it <laughs> and I stop liking it over time. It's like, it definitely does a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> like some people really, really like chocolate. I like a bite of chocolate. I can have a bite and then I'm just like sick of chocolate. And I think that, uh, this, I'm thinking of ending things might have been a little too much chocolate for my blood. <laughs> yep. So you said that you revisited it. Did you revisit it? specifically around the time you started working on your list or did you revisit it in the weeks following having seen it? I, I revisited it in the weeks following. Okay. Uh, specifically, I was helping a friend run an errand and I had about like an hour to kill in my car and I just <laughs> sat down with my iPad uh, my iPad and headphones and like rewatched most of the movie. Gotcha. Uh, skipping around a little bit. And that was just a like completely captivating experience. It, it like changed a lot on second viewing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would probably enjoy the film more, too, if I could skip around a bit. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, yeah, so moving on to my number eight. Uh, once again, another film that we saw at a festival, a film that uh, people listening will be able to watch very shortly, or they can now already. I forget exactly what the... Might be available. Um, anyways... <laughs> That is the film One Night in Miami. Um, this is a film that I, I can't decouple it from the fact that we are reading the autobiography of Malcolm X at the time that we watched this film. Right. Um, that like contextual, uh, the experience of watching it while reading that text had to have given me a heightened reality with it. But this is a phenomenal film that is essentially a one act play that is 
for uh you know important players in in the civil rights movement like interacting with each other at one moment in time and sort of their their experience on what the other people mean to everyone and 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 what they mean to each other and sort of just really just having some really really interesting deep and very heavy conversations with each other in a way that like sort of just it I just I, I was floored by what I watched. I didn't know what to expect when I sat down to watch it, but like coming out of it, I was like, man, that that was like fucking good. So that yeah, this this is just a film that it's on my list just because of like kind of the high I rode out of it on. Yeah, uh, no, I I completely agree. Um, I both this movie and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom were two extremely play like films that kind of tackle very similar similar questions uh in different ways but like there's some similarities there and yeah i i loved i i loved this movie uh, i love both movies actually and you're right like reading the autobiography of malcolm x is really really hard to divorce from from the movie because it just adds so much to it yeah uh, but yeah this was a great one and another almost made the top 10 uh list definitely ex- suggest people check it out i think it's gonna be available in like a week okay. i think it's like the 15th i heard that it was coming out okay i gotcha yeah i couldn't remember if it was like end of december or end of january um yeah. but folks will be able to see it and you'll be able to get our review which was from back whenever it was it feels like a million years ago <laughs> sometime last year mm. <laughs> all right so that was our number eight i'm thinking of ending things and one night in miami let's move on steven to our number sevens All right. uh, My number seven is the only one of these films that I watched in theaters. Um, uh, I'm thinking of ending things is about kind of a toxic male point of view. I don't want to say more about that movie in order to not spoil it. Uh, This movie is also very much about that, but the POV is flipped. Uh, And this is Kitty Green's film, The Assistant. Um, I think I might be one of the few people on earth who watched this movie before watching Ozark. So I had no idea who Julia Garner was <laughs> or the fact that she was such a fantastic actress. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this movie was amazing. This was one of those things that I didn't know anything about it. Uh, I went to see it at the one Embarcadero Center theater, like just tiny, tiny little theater. I don't remember if anyone else was even there. And I just found it completely captivating. And it's the kind of thing that honestly, I think I had to see in theaters because it is a very quiet, unnerving film that is all about like tuning down the volume on the actual day-to-day life of the main character. So you can foreground all the uncomfortable aspects of her day. Like the background noise is the movie. Um, This is kind of highlighted by the the main enemy of the film who is never named, but is clearly a Weinstein-esque character who we never really hear him directly. We only hear him muffled. We never really see him. All we see is the world around him and the, the kind of systemic issues that allow him to exist. Um, it's a movie about, you know, me too related issues and not just the villains of it, but all the people in the orbit that allow it to persist. Um, Matthew McFadden has an amazing turn as an HR rep in one of the most unpleasant, (laughs) uncomfortable scenes of the year, I think. And yeah, I just think this was a really, really interesting, uh, unnerving film that communicated something really important about the way systems work. And yeah, it it stuck with me. Would definitely encourage people to check out The Assistant. Yeah, it is a very good film. It is also one of the last things that I saw in theaters. Um, 
ironically enough, like the opposite end of the spectrum from this film is I walked out of that screening basically onto the set of The Matrix 4 <laughs> because they were doing, they had blocked off like the next block when they, when they uh, shut that things down, those things down. But yeah, I, I think you talked about being in a theater where like maybe nobody was there. I feel like this is the perfect film to see in a theater with a single other body in the theater to where there isn't, like you can hear every noise they make, every squeak of their chair. So like in all the uncomfortable scenes, you can feel the presence of like if there's enough people moving, mm. you kind of it, it kind of becomes white noise. But when it's just one other person, you can feel their uncomfortableness. Yeah, just in how they like hold themselves. And I think it's a yeah, it, it's a good way to watch the film. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so my number seven um, is also a film that I saw around the same time that I saw The Assistant. It's one of the last things that I saw um, in theaters. It's not, th it's not the last thing I saw in theaters, which is The Way Back. <laughs> yeah. But it is the thing that I saw. This is kind of the opposite by name, I think. Yeah, it's the opposite <laughs> by name. Um, and that is a Pixar film, not Soul, mind you, um, but a little film called Onward, which um, I'm sure we talked about it in the episode, but... Onward was a film that I was kind of not looking forward to at all based on the initial teasers that came out. Um, Pixar, to me, is a very specific, specific thing, a particular type of film, a particular type of world. And just watching like fantasy realms and Pegasus and and like goblins and trolls and stuff like that, it just it, I was like, what are they even doing with this story? And I came into a film that is about a world in which magic has always existed, but people have like through like industrialization <laughs> have basically put away their belief and love for magic in exchange for tech and gadgets and things like that. And basically all the magical realm was lost and now exists just in games that people play on tabletops. And it's really, and it's about two uh, brothers who have lost their father and uh, they find a on the 16th birthday of the youngest brother, they receive a, their father's staff and a spell which they can do to bring back the father for one 24 hour period. The spell goes wrong and they only bring back half of their father and then they have to go on an adventure to try to restore his full presence so that they can see him again before he disappears forever. And it was just a, it was a brilliant film that threw me back to like my days of playing tabletop RPGs and just the idea of, of having all those things exist in real life and have have these these games that you're playing actually be a historical account of the way times were in the past was just cool and fun. But also, this is just a beautiful story of about brotherhood, about uh, fatherhood and sort of just like an incredible emotional ride that that had me bawling by the end of it and it was just immensely entertaining and and was far better than i could have imagined based on that initial teaser uh yeah i think onward we talked about this a few days ago i think it, it was either the very last film i saw in theaters or second to last again the way back and onward not totally clear onward was one of those alamo movies where i watched it alone downstairs like kind of at the last minute yeah um yeah, it was so surprisingly moving. I shouldn't be surprised because Pixar always pulls it off. Um, but yeah, it, it had just a lot to say about like brotherhood and family and like 
kind of like Vast of Night, it made me feel like there's adventure and excitement in the world and there's something very moving about other people feeling that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a totally beautiful movie and I, I was really glad the podcast forced us to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. So, well, that was our number sevens, The Assistant and Onward, Stephen Miller. What was your number six? Uh, my number six, this is one of those movies that I feel will be endlessly rewatchable, but I'm kind of terrified of rewatching it because I don't want to break the spell it held on me the first time. <laughs> uh, and that is Palm Springs. Um, it is a movie uh, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milotti that is kind of a riff on Groundhog Day, but set in, I think, an ingenious premise of a destination wedding. Um Another one of those movies that came out at just the exact right time when we were all stuck at home with each other. Um, the repetition, the boredom, the idea that the days are just going to bleed in together. Uh, it has this beautiful concept of two people realizing I'd rather do nothing with you than something without you, which like what better time could that come out yeah. uh, than in 2020? <laughs> and it, it just, it, it's funny uh, it is really, really fun. It doesn't let exposition get in the way. It kind of dances through all of its exposition. Uh, it is taut. I don't think there's an ounce of fat on that movie. Um, and it is, again, kind of surprisingly moving. Uh, there are at least one or two scenes in that movie that genuinely made me almost cry uh, in an Andy Samberg movie. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought this was a great... This was one of those movies that I think everybody kind of watched because it, it went direct to streaming and people are just, like, hungry for a new movie. Yeah. And I, I really think it delivered. Like, this is the kind of movie that I think has a little bit of something for everyone. Yeah. Um, well, Stephen, we might be in a time loop. <laughs> Because my number six is also Palm Springs. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I, feel like there's a, I feel like there's a number of years that we've had like one overlap in the same slot. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, echo everything you just said. Um, like, once again, like Vast of Night, I had some minor quibbles with Palm Springs. Um, but that, like, even those little quibbles can't take away, like, the amount of fun and the inventiveness. Like, I mean... We, I'm sure we joked about it on the podcast, but like there is a dance scene in this film that is sort of establishing the stakes um, and the right. duration uh, of of what what has been happening in this film that is worth the price of admi admission just on its own. <laughs> like it is it is a brilliant scene. Um, I really had fun with this. I mean, obviously the two leads are fucking amazing, and I'll I'll watch pretty much anything they're in. Um, but I yeah, yeah. I I love Palm Springs, and it's. It's something that like I still like will think about and then giggle to myself <laughs> like during the year just because there's just some amazingly great moments in that film and just it's it's a touching little story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, have you rewatched it yet? I haven't rewatched it. I'm curious how it holds up. Maybe maybe now that we've done the episode, I finally feel safe to let myself watch it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, where it can't it can't falter and, and, and shift in positions. Now we can go back mm -hmm. and just watch it ad nauseum. All right. So that was our number six films, Palm Springs and Palm Springs. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, uh, so I mean, you, so this is a audio only medium. Um, so people can't see all of uh, Stephen's gesticulation to, <laughs> to his guesses of what my films are as I'm coming up with them. But I mean, are you pretty, are you pretty spot on or did it take a little bit of tease 
as I'm leading into certain films before you like solidified your your list oh, for I mean, me. Y- your teases are important. I would say so far, every movie that has been on your list is one that I thought would probably make your list. But I, again, the things I thought would probably make your list, there were probably like 14 of them. So take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's the teases you give. Like the moment you say a thing, I'm like, uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> that one is on it. And then I kind of do a little checkbox in my head. Like, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're getting to top fives now. We, we've, we have each given five films um, that which... Mm-hmm. Simply choosing these has ruled out a number of things that could possibly be good enough to go in our top fives. How how are you feeling right now about the possibility of overlaps moving forward? We will definitely have overlaps. I don't know if we will have overlaps in the same spot or not, but I am confident. I'm confident that there are at least two, probably three overlaps in our top five. That yeah. that is the the ground that I'm going to stake out. I, I I'm. I'm going for three. I think there are three that are are, yep. are are in there. I think I also know the two that are going to be in yours that are not going to be on mine. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll play this game. <laughs> yep. I, I'm going to email you my guesses and you don't read your email until after we've recorded. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. Not going to say his personal email address out loud. <laughs> um, okay, I have sent my prediction. Okay, I won't. I won't even look when the push notification comes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good thing I talked to you on a side monitor. <laughs> um, all right. Yep. So, Stephen Miller, what was your number five film? Um, my number five film uh, is one of only a few movies this year that I watched twice. Um, Mm. This is a movie that lowered my blood pressure. (laughs) It it is a movie that I found very relaxing and very endearing. And it's by a filmmaker that I had never seen anything of before that I now would count myself a big fan of. And that is First Cow by Kelly Reichardt. Um, This is a movie. The premise is fairly simple. Um, Cookie is a man in the Old West who is a cook who is not particularly great at things. He, he wasn't built to survive in this world, but he knows how to cook. He knows how to make people happy. And he meets King Lou, uh, a man on the run who has kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. And the two of them decide to steal milk from a cow to make delicious oily cakes. And <laughs> that is the premise of the movie. The premise will not sound like a movie worth watching. This is not a plotty film at all, but it is a film that just I found captivating and extremely warm and lovely and just very, very memorable. Um, The scene of oily cakes in this movie is one of those images that I can just immediately conjure in my brain. Not only the oily cakes, but what the area was where they were cooking, what it probably felt like to people waiting in line, how cold it probably was, the dirt, like everything, which is extremely memorable to me. Um, And another scene is Cookie talking gently to a cow at night while he milks her (laughs) that I remember in our episode, I admitted it made me cry. I don't know why it made me cry, just like the Spjorg note, but it it, it did. Um, 
in a weird way, I think part of what got me about this movie is the characters in it recognize that they are a part of history, like that they are in a time that will become another time. And I think 2020 felt like a moment like that, where like we are in a time where everything is very big and important and confusing, but we all know it is a wave that we are going to ride out and we're going to go somewhere better. And there was something about a movie that was a historical drama that was just about two people surviving and finding like a little bit of life, a little bit of warmth in it that I just found extremely moving. Uh, so yeah, first cow is my number five of the year. Yeah, I, I definitely liked first cow less than you did, but there's still a lot that I did really, really enjoy about it. It, it is a film that is maybe paced slower than I tend to enjoy. There, there are definitely some shots that like, we talked earlier about like really trying to focus and not want to do other things. I could have gone and made a few drinks in between some of those shots. Um, <laughs> but it is a really interesting depiction of this time and place. And really, it, it was one of those films that like it makes you think about living at this time and what there was for. I mean, <laughs> you know, we, we just did a review of Soul, which is a film that talks about like, you know, one of the themes of that is like appreciating the little things in life um, and during the time of First Cow, there were only the little things. There was nothing else. <laughs> like, it's really just survival and, have, I guess, having meaningful conversation. And there, there was something really, really interesting about what this film is doing. And I appreciate what it's doing a lot. Um, but I definitely, it didn't, it didn't, it, it, it was slowly paced enough that I had time to think about how poorly they were planning out the things that they were doing in the film. <laughs> <laughs> It kind of took me out of the film. It's like a slow-paced horror movie where you have time to shout, like, don't go in that room. <laughs> yeah. Except for the room is a cow. I will say this was obviously not one of the three that I expected us to share. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we both knew that it wasn't going to be on my list. All right. But the thing that is on my list in my number five... Um, is a little film that also might deal a tiny bit with the wilderness. <laughs> um, it was just ter terrible segue. But uh, my number five is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Um, <laughs> this is a film that I literally found out about the night before that I watched it. I did not know it exist existed. I just was listening to a podcast, uh, not even a film podcast. It was a video game podcast. And somebody said, oh, yeah, and this weekend there's a new Jim Cummings movie. And I was like, oh. I'm watching it. And I, all I knew about it was that it was like a werewolf movie. Um, but it's see, secretly, it's not just a werewolf movie. It is this amazing, amazing film about once again, about a father <laughs> and about family. And, uh, it's a film that made me cry. Um, and it's, it's like, there are some beautiful performances in this that like it, once again, this is a film that like seems like a jokey premise right it's just like a silly fun comedic werewolf film but it's actually like deadly serious at times and is really dealing with some really heavy family dynamics in a way that just still continues to blow me away like jim cummings is amazing and just hit the way he performs the way he delivers his dialogue um is just it's endlessly entertaining and anytime he has a film coming out i'm going to be excited to check it out and I'm I'm two for two making it into my top ten list at the end of the year, so I'm I'm excited to see what comes next. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, the Wolf of Snow Hollow was a great movie. I think it was an amazing follow up 
to Thunder Road. It really just proves his sensibilities and the the range that he has as an actor and a director, but also the niche that he like knows how to milk for all it's worth. Um, I am mad at myself because I, I remembered this movie existed when I was making my list, but when I made my predictions for your top five, I forgot about it and it would have <laughs> definitely bumped the other thing that was in my prediction for your top five. So spoilers, I did not get everything right in my email, but, but we will see how close I was. Oh, did you, did you try to put a full top five? I, I didn't give you an order top five, but I said these are the three we'll have in common and these are the two you'll have that I don't have. Okay, gotcha. And if I had remembered in that moment The Wolf of Snow Hollow, I would have known, of course, it's going to be one of those movies. <laughs> cool. Um, well, those are our number fives. First Cow and The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Um, Steven, why don't you bring us in to our number fours? All right. Uh, my number four is another one of the very few movies that I watched a second time this year. Uh, and that is a film called Shithouse. Um, it blows my mind that a 22 year old, probably 21 through most of it directed this movie. Um, I think Cooper Rafe is such a talent and I know this is a very stripped down film. This is not a giant big budget spectacle. You might wonder, yeah, couldn't anyone make a movie like this? And as someone who has seen tons of shitty mumblecore movies, the answer is no. You, <laughs> you do not just happen to make a movie like this. This is a very specific skill set of knowing how to capture this kind of slice of life. Um, I found this movie just incredibly true about the way it approaches college, the way it approaches being young, figuring out who you are, fumbling to connect with other people, never really knowing how to fit in having conversations that feel life-changing, very meaningful, and then just like evaporate as if they never happened. Um, this is a movie that it takes your typical before midnight, before sunrise type premise, and then shows you what happens after. It kind of follows the thread a little bit longer in a way that I think is brilliant and really elevates it beyond the kind of typical pure romance that a lot of these movies would want to be. And it just gave me a ton of feelings. I thought it was just incredibly endearing and very, very naturalistic and charming. And no one is a protagonist, really. Like the lead characters who are both amazingly well acted, uh, they're both lovable. They both do very shitty things. And I think the movie does a really good job of allowing both of those things to coexist and letting us still empathize with them without rooting for bad behavior. I, I think this movie just does so much with so little. And yeah, I it charmed the crap out of me. Yeah, um, Shithouse is a beautiful film. Um, and it's a film that I put at number four. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, as as we talked about, you know, Stephen, you were saying that like this, like this isn't a film that you just like anybody just goes and makes and does executes this well. And it's it's because it's almost cheating. Like it feels like so true that you almost can't give somebody credit <laughs> for for executing it on that well. Cause it's like they're not they're not doing the thing that they set out to do. They're just being what they are. And you are being taken on this journey in a way that just it even though it wasn't exactly my like I didn't have that experience of going away to college like I stayed home for college and went to a local college but I still feel everything that is happening as fully authentic and even weird moments where you're like man 
that situation was just super weird. You're like, yeah, but I totally believe that that happened and it probably happened like for real. And this is just being reenacted in a way that now we can experience. Like, like we talked in, in our episode about this one moment where he tries to come up with a witty comeback and just the, the expression he makes as he tries to deliver that line didn't feel like somebody delivering lines. It felt like somebody in the moment actually responding to that in like just a not so clever way. And I, I just, I really, it, it's, it's, it seems like a very subdued film, but it just, it, it's, it's very, very impactful in what it's doing. And it kind of just blew me away at what I was watching. And yeah, as you said, it's, you know, this, <laughs> like, I, I feel like very shortly, I will be twice as old <laughs> as he was when he made the film. <laughs> So, life goals. <laughs> hey, but twice as wise. Yeah. One can only hope. <laughs> All right. So, well, those were our number fours. That's Shithouse and Shithouse. Um, it is time to get into our number threes. So, Stephen, why don't you take us away? All right. So, I do want to say my top three is the closest thing to a toss-up in the sense that over the last few days, any of these were could have been number one. Uh, they're kind of very different movies that are doing very different things. Uh, and all of this is hard, but I found this particular ordering very hard. Um, my number three is a festival film that we watched together. Uh, it is one that is probably the most predictable on this list in terms of if people could have called the shot, you know, months ago, what would make it? And that is a movie called Nomadland, uh, by Chloe Zhao, um, Look, The Rider made my list a few years ago. Uh, this movie, I think, is even better. Um, it's just a very, very empathetic look at a specific subset of America. Um, it's a beautiful film that, again, came at the exact right time when we were all stuck indoors. So much about how big a country we live in, uh, shots of landscape, sky, the pleasure in little things, the need to like find a little place to call your own. Um, Francis McDormand and David Stathern are both really, really, really great in this movie. Um, and it, it's about like grappling with a sense of loss, about feeling like there's this thing that you can't get back anymore and being willing to go to the ends of the earth to find it. And I just thought that was a, a beautiful, melancholy, moving film, kind of like Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. It does really amazing work with amateur actors like people who are basically playing themselves i think it mines that for a lot of humanity and again it gets it maybe more truth than only a documentary could have by having people get to kind of play themselves and reiterate what matters to them um i also think it pairs really well with first cow uh it's about the world being both beautiful and very harsh and cold and how you can have both simultaneously and yeah, I thought this was just a really, really, really moving, beautiful film. And I can't wait to see what she does with the Marvel film next. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I, I I, thought Nomadland was also a very, very beautiful film. Um, I think it was it was definitely one that like I was watching because it was getting buzz in sort of the festival circuit um, and then sat down to watch it. And then by the time that that title card came up at the end or the little thing i was just kind of like fuck that movie was amazing and at that point in time probably could have been in contention for number one of my list by the end of the year um but it didn't make my number one and instead 
it made my number three because <laughs> my number Hell three yeah. is Nomadland. <laughs> um, I I think I know what your number. I think we both have the same number one. I have no yeah, idea what you have for number two. Um, I definitely know what your number two is. The <laughs> <laughs> process of elimination, <laughs> because you know that my number two is not your number one. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or my yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Nomadland is great. Um, it is an amazing film that you know follows somebody in uh, a culture that I didn't like know really existed. I didn't really know much about it, and it it really shows you what it's like to live this life, and shows it in a way that's not like it's like triumphant, and at times tragic, and at times hilarious, and at times it just it's I. This film is doing a magic trick <laughs> and I don't know how it does it, but by the end of it, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm like walled over by, by, by what it's presenting me with. And I just, it, and then when it like brings it back right at the end and kind of just shows you what launched this kind of story that we're watching and, and what it all really means, yeah. it kind of just, it kind of hits you like a ton of bricks um, or rock. <laughs> um <laughs> Steven knows what I'm saying. <laughs> I know. I, I gotcha. Um, but yeah, anyways, those were our number threes, Nomadland and Nomadland. And uh, mm-hmm. are you ready to traverse into our number number two realm? I am. Uh, will it help you in predicting if I tell you that my number two is cheating? I mean, is your number two five films? <laughs> Uh, you nailed it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I am not the first to do this. Uh, multiple critics groups have also cheated by treating this as one entity rather than several. Um, I also will say, okay, my, my number two is Small Axe, uh, the <laughs> series by Steve McQueen. But I will say Lover's Rock would have made the spot as well on its own. I decided to cheat late in the game because there are like Mangrove in particular, I really wanted to have in the top 10. And this is kind of my way of squeezing multiple ones in at the same time. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned Nomadland being a way of showing you a way of living like a people that you didn't have any sense of before. Uh, and Steve McQueen, I think really does that for the, uh, the West Indie community in in london uh in the 60s 70s and 80s um this is an anthology series that at once it kind of felt like it was doing what the wire is doing which is taking little snapshots of very different things and teaching you about them like deciding to deep dive in what is it like their interactions with the police what is the culture like what is uh policing itself like what is education like what is yeah you know in a sense it is a very kind of didactic thing meant to teach you something but i think it is just so elevated by the commitment that steve mcqueen brings to authenticity i assume authenticity of course i i have no idea but this <laughs> these movies just drop you in immediately um i'm not ashamed to say i use subtitles when watching this movie because characters speak in a incredibly heavy patois with phrases and like different things that they say to each other that even reading subtitles you kind of have to catch a few times to really understand what the meaning is yeah um this is a movie they do not hold your hand at all um 
the film that would be number two is Lover's Rock for me, uh, which is the movie we've alluded to before. It is a hangout film. It is a party. It is a very period-specific party. It's about people being attracted to each other, people enjoying each other's company. It's also about a little bit of menace, about like the darkness at the periphery of that and the way that like there can be darkness and light at the same time. But I think... Lover's Rock wouldn't have been so moving to me if it didn't come immediately after Mangrove. And there's kind of an echo of police sirens in the background of Lover's Rock, not only in reality, but also in the music that they DJ. And Mangrove is all about how this community in London is constantly harassed by the police, how they constantly try to drive them out, drive out the way of life. And I think something about this little island in the middle of an anthology all about kind of very serious political issues, just taking an hour to dance and enjoy music and honestly show me things about genres that I would have dismissed before. Like I was not a reggae fan. I I generally, I, I never thought much of protest being in that music. I always thought of it as, oh yeah, this is the stuff that stoners that I grew up with would listen to. Right. <laughs> and the, like the urgency that comes from these, not only in uh, in Lover's Rock, but in Alex Weedle too. I don't know if you watched all five of the movies or not, but there there's a scene again where he is coming up with lines of this chant that he wants to make. And when he's coming up with the lines, I'm like, okay, this is repetitive. This is never going to work. And for days after I woke up with like, we're going to riot in Brixton, just stuck in my head. <laughs> like, th- there's something just very, very... Um, I don't know. This is a project that just the scope of it and the fact that Steve McQueen pulls it off, I think is just completely brilliant. But this one movie, this kind of link letter type single party, two people falling in love, it just it got me so good. And I think the acapella people singing silly games is just probably my scene of the year in terms of just moving me out of nowhere just by sheer people being people. And yeah. That's why it is my number one. So small acts, but lovers rock if you really have to make it just one movie. Your number two? Two. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> um, yeah. I, 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 first of all, I would be lying if if I didn't like constantly over the last few days just like randomly yell to myself, crucial rocker <laughs> at different times. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so these, these are films that I, I mean... Obviously, Mangrove and Lover's Rock are the ones that everybody's sort of been talking about most. Um, those are kind of by far the best out of the group. Um, I haven't seen the third one yet. Um, just mm-hmm. it's it's easy to watch them in order. There was a mix up in my watching situation um, in which somebody thought one was the one that they had heard about that they wanted to see. So I saved it for later. And then after I finished the fifth one, it was the fifth one that <laughs> they wanted to see. Um, mm. So I still have to go back and watch the third one. But yeah, I, I think I think Mangrove is a, an amazing film. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to not talk about it in <laughs> conjunction with The Trial of Chicago 7. Yeah. Um, it is a far better um <laughs> film on a bunch of different ways um and obviously it's it's not trial is a film that is trying to be funny while dealing with the subject matter and mangrove is a very very ser- serious film and doesn't really play it for fun um lover's rock uh is the film that we 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 joked about earlier like i text steven 10 minutes in and i was like i'm 10 minutes in to lover's rock and i hope 
there's no story and it's really just this party. And yeah, he texted back, you're going to be very happy with this film. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it starts with people moving furniture. And I'm like, okay, cool. People moving out of a house. I'm like, oh no, they're just moving the furniture into a different room. And then a party starts. My only complaint about Lover's Rock is it starts with people cooking food in this kitchen and you never get to see anybody eating it. Like I was so excited. <laughs> I was so excited. Oh, but Mangrove gives you so much of the food already. True. It, it, it did. It did. It did. But it just, I, I was kind of like waiting for a scene of people just like chowing down on this food. And I was like getting super hungry watching it. Um, Alex Weedle, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I have no context for who the, the author was. So the way that film yeah. ended was very jarring to me. <laughs> And, and, and it kind of lessened my love for that. Like I was hundred percent on board all the way. And then a character says, I think I'll write a book. And then there's a title card that says he wrote 15. <laughs> and I was like, yep. what did I just watch? I don't understand what I just saw. I, I think that of, of all of them, Alex Weedle is the most anthology feeling yeah. thing. Like that is the one that feels like it wouldn't stand alone as a movie necessarily. It, 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 it that is, that is literally you saying that, like, I mean, I, it, it's the same thought I had where I was like, I get it. As this collection, this 100% works. If I saw this film in isolation, I would be really upset with that ending because it's relying on you to, like, you were showing me a film that makes me care about an individual. And then at the end, it becomes, this is that man who I am talking about. And I, I, I just didn't make that journey with it. So it kind of let me down a little bit. Um, and then... Uh, education is a, a touching film that uh, a child reading a book made me cry at the end. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, I, as much as I enjoyed watching the 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 acts, <laughs> the small acts that I did see, um, I have not seen all of them yet, and it did not make my number two. Um, I think for your number two. I am going to ask you a question that a character in Shithouse asks another character in Shithouse, which is, do you want to get in Tenet? <laughs> uh, yes, Stephen, you know what my number two is. Uh, my number two is Tenet. Um, if you really want to know my full thoughts on Tenet, there's an hour and 42 minutes-ish of us talking about how much I love that film. Um, it is an amazing film, which in a different world... I would have probably had as my number one this year um, because it is probably my favorite film um, that I've seen for a long time. Um, but my number one, which I assume is Steven's number one, um, is the best film I've seen in a long time. Um, and so I, I just had to, to knock Tenet down to number two slot. But it is a film that I love. I know it's Tenet is somewhat polarizing um you know there's the one side of the palindrome and the other side of the palindrome and uh some people love it some people hate it it was a film that i it, it was it was the one film this year that not getting to see in theaters really hurt me to not be able to see um christopher nolan is a filmmaker that i really admire and seeing his like i go to see films that i that I don't care about seeing in IMAX strictly to see his prologues that usually air in IMAX. <laughs> um, and it was hard not to see it this year, but I finally got to see it um, and watched it three times in that one week, which is a benefit of having <laughs> something that you can purchase to watch at home. Um, but yeah, I, I love Tenet. And if you haven't seen it yet, go see it. Can't promise you you'll love it as well, but uh, it's, it's worth uh, saying. <laughs> 
Yeah, a- absolutely. And I'm I'm putting Tenet in a kind of sandbox along with Mank of movies that I respected a lot and I really wanted to acknowledge just because of the achievement of making them and the director that made them like carrying out their vision 100% the way they wanted to do it. And I just, at the end of the day, there was something, the Christopher Nolan's lack of obvious emotion. I know you and Dave Klein kind of convinced me that there is emotion in Tenet <laughs> hiding beneath the surface, but there just isn't enough of it for to make it be one of the most meaningful movies for me of the year. But it is an amazing accomplishment, and I think people should definitely go check it out. Yep. Cool. Um, well, that, uh, that was our number twos, um, or your number two, 2.1, 2.2, 2.3, and 2.4. Um, Small Axe, the anthology series, and uh, Tenet. Um, we, are now, we have now arrived at our number one films of the year. Um, I can just copy and paste mine into your uh, slots uh, on my little sheet here. Yeah, I'm because there's no. I we we can one we can one two three say it one two three and then say it on sure. the next beat. Um, yes. If we do not say the same thing, I will be shocked. <laughs> right. Yeah, I will take off the headphones, which are vital for <laughs> for discussing this movie. <laughs> okay. Good. Thank God. <laughs> Yep. I was I, I I said it earlier, but when Jamie asked me what your number one, I was like I was like I know what it should be, but I don't know that it will be because I don't know what else he's going to watch mm. before the the year ends. Um, but you were also correct in not knowing because, as I mentioned, my top three roved around considerably over the last you know couple days. Yeah, yeah. One of them was roving around and sleeping in a trailer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, but uh, for this season in January, I found a good gig at number three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, so are we are we doing the countdown yeah <laughs> one two three sound, sound of metal. metal yeah i mean that we don't need to do the normal each person does a monologue like we we reviewed this quite recently too or at least it feels recent in my head but yeah this is just a movie that the feat of making it is incredible the sound design is great it's a movie that communicates a thing that only a movie could communicate like it is very 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 specific it's an empathy machine which is what i love it's personal it it made me cry multiple times it, it it's just a wonderful movie and it is exactly the kind of thing that i want in my number one slot yeah i mean th- this was a film that I, I i was really excited to see um and we, we weren't able to see it at a festival, but it was playing. I remember seeing the description of it and being like, hell yeah, I'm 100% in for this. Um, so I was really excited for it to finally be coming out. Um, I think we even, I think it hit theaters for a week, supposedly, before we were able to even see it. Um, but I sat down to watch it and I just was pretty much immediately drawn into what it, like, I haven't seen a film that that is presented in a way that makes me experience the film the way um, that the character is experiencing their world. Like this film really puts you front and center in there. Steven's already joked about uh, taking off his headphones. Um, that, that, like that, this film, the, the technical achievement of what this film is doing, just it like as soon as the movie ended, I was like, this is going to be my number one this year because nothing else can really touch what this film did for me experience wise um and the the, the story on it on its own is good and interesting i like these characters are really um 
they, they, they pull you in and you really care for them and what's going on with them. But then on top of that, you have the achievement of what the film is actually doing um, in the way it's trying to tell the story. And it just, it, it melds together like a, like a tenet uh, symbol. Yeah. And, and just becomes like a, something that is like so high elevated above um, anything else that I saw this year that it's like, and it's the one thing that like made having to be at home watching films worth it. <laughs> And it's like, it is like a transcendent film in that way. And I love it for everything that it, that it did. Yeah, definitely. And it also gave me one of maybe my favorite uh, side performance of the year, which is Paul Rossi as Joe, the kind of the leader or owner of this group recovery home uh, that the lead character goes to. Um, such a he has just a few scenes but they are so powerful and moving and again like a lot of movies on the list it is a thing that it is fiction but it is very clear that they cast it in a way where the people who are telling the story are telling a story that is true to their own life yeah and i think again in this year where like there wasn't really time for subtext like i love the blurring of lines and just feeling like people are really telling me their story and cinema is a way of like amplifying it but it isn't making it fiction like it's making it more true than anything else and yet this movie just made me cry a bunch yeah (laughs) not only for the main struggles that the characters are going through too i mean we talked about it in our review but for other things a relationship that is not the center of this movie still hit me like a ton of bricks at the end um there there's just so much that it's doing and yeah, it, it was a really lovely find and a, a movie that I was not that keen on watching. Like I thought it was a movie about heavy metal drumming. <laughs> and I was kind of like, okay, I guess I'll watch it. You know, if, if, if Chris says I have to, I, I guess I'll catch it. And yeah, I'm really glad I did because it wound up being my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. As much as I wouldn't <laughs> listen to this band sound, this band's album. <laughs> um but yeah just it's 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 a brilliant film and i loved every minute of watching it it's, it's kind of funny the uh at the end of this film there's a little bit of first cowness i feel <laughs> yeah oh uh, yeah i gotcha you know what i mean <laughs> he eats oily cakes right <laughs> of course yeah um but anyways, yeah, that, that is that is our, our top tens, um, our number ones, Sound of Metal. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, generally we might, um, when we get to the end, you know, if we're not like completely dead, this is actually, the, so far, this is on track to be our shortest like top ten. This is relatively quick. For a while, yeah. So we've been very efficient this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we should probably take some time to maybe mention a few other things that we saw that we really, really liked that maybe didn't make any of our lists um, or things that like you really wanted to put in, but just couldn't, um, or just things that like would have never made you list, but you still are like surprised how much you enjoyed them. Totally. Uh, so there are a few that I really, I had in my must have in top 10 list that didn't make the cut. Uh, you already hit on two of them, another round in the vast of night. Uh, the other one that neither of us mentioned was never rarely, sometimes always, yeah. um, that is probably the most Steven film that did not make this list for me. Um, I, th- I think it is a beautiful naturalistic movie that is worth checking out. It just barely didn't make the cut. Um, 
Blow the Man Down is another one that I really respected the hell out of a lot, like The Vast of Night, where it was like a, a filmmaker just coming out of the gate real strong, the kind of thing that I want to support and want to look at for what he does next. Um, I don't want to steal all of them, so you give me some more before I, <laughs> I continue. Uh, well, let's see. Um, uh, Defy Bloods um, was was yep. one that I really, really enjoyed. Um if you open your email, that is what I swapped the Wolf of Snow Hollow okay. for in my prediction for you. It, it, it was it was in the list floating around for a while. And it was one that I just I, I at, at the end, I was like, I really, really enjoyed that film. Um, but there were just other ones that like. Like spoke to me more directly, um, not just intellectually, yeah. but just like hit me in certain ways that that one was like, I, I think that one's masterfully done. It just it just. Had to bump it for other things. Um, the Invisible Man, um, which was like one of the first yeah. things I feel like we saw at the beginning of the year, um, which was really surprisingly good. <laughs> um, and one that was never in a million years going to actually make my list. But it's still one I want to mention. A few weeks ago, I watched Freaky, um, the body swap film. Hmm. Um, I paid $20 to watch it, and I was not sorry. That film is fucking great. (laughs) I almost almost made us do a late review, but it was like a few weeks after it had come out on VOD, and I was like, there's a lot of stuff going on. I think I'm tired. (laughs) Um, But but I, I, I wholeheartedly recommend it. It is great. It knows exactly what genre it's playing in it and it does it masterfully. Um, and Vince Vaughn pretending to be like a teenage girl is just it's just chef's kiss. <laughs> um, uh, a few others uh, that I had that didn't quite make the cut. Uh, David Burns, American Utopia. It was hard to make a concert film be on this list, but that was one of the purest bundles of joy that I saw this year. Um, Dick Johnson is dead. I thought that was a great use of the documentary format. Definitely thematically ties with 2020 a lot. Didn't quite make the cut, but I was a big fan of it. Uh, Love and Monsters wasn't going to make this list, but I do want to shout out, like, I thought that movie was a hell of a good time. Um, Yep. Yeah, I, I had mentioned Mank and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom already when talking about other movies on this list. Um, St. Francis is a movie that I caught up with very recently. I would say it is the other film about abortion that came out this year. It is a much more Gillian Robespierre type movie, like Landline or something. It is extremely charming. Very, very, very pleasant and moving. Uh, the writer is also the star of it, and I would definitely encourage anybody to check out St. Francis. It is a, it, it's a movie that you're not going to regret seeing. Um, yeah, uh, another one is the 40-year-old version. Um, that's a movie about a, a black playwright living in New York who is struggling with whether to sell out and basically make poverty porn, you know, make make things that white audiences will pay to watch that are basically reducing your problems to very simple black and white things that they can feel good about supporting or whether to find her own voice, uh, go into hip hop. I thought I thought that move was great. I caught that very late. And yeah, I, I, that is about it. I, I'm also going to throw in uh, Bill and Ted face the music. <laughs> <laughs> um that, that obviously it was never going to make my list but i i thought that film was like surprisingly way better than it deserved to be like it was an incredibly earnest take on like how do we deal with the existence of these previous two films and how do we do like where these characters would be now and like give it a better message than just these two like 
knuckleheads trying to like make a song that is amazing right i i, I don't know i i think that like when i finished watching that i was like you know what this might be my favorite of the three <laughs> it, it, in that vein i a part of me wanted to get borat subsequent movie film in here just because the type of laughter that it elicited in me was like unlike anything else that i saw this year yeah um and there were also two two movies that are about like love in a time of separation and isolation which was obviously very poignant this year uh, and those were the documentary time and the movie i carry you with me uh, neither of them really were going to get into top 10 territory for me but i did think both were beautiful movies and definitely like interesting things worth checking out this year um another <laughs> honorable mention uh speed cubers on netflix um <laughs> That is a documentary about some kids trying to become the best at uh, doing the Rubik's Cube. And that shit definitely made me cry. <laughs> wow. Watch it. Sweet. I, I do want to shout out Soul, by the way, uh, the Pixar film. Soul and Onward both actually, like if I had to rate them, it would be hard because Onward made me more immediately emotional. But Soul, I think, is a more brilliant film yeah. that Pixar has made. Um but both definitely worth checking out this well, year. It, uh, so there's two things that are that are interesting there is for a while when I was making my list, it just said onward slash soul. <laughs> and, I, yep. and as I shifted them around, I just kept them as one like one single like Steven cheats thing. Um, and then right at the end, I was <laughs> like, all right, sorry, soul, you're going to fall back to earth. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I got rid of it. But also right at the end of our review of soul, um, you were making a few statements and I was like, is it really the lack of nostalgia that like, or sorry, is it, is it the nostalgia, the nostalgia that makes us love Pixar films? And in a film like soul where that's absent, does that like somehow create some sort of barrier for us to fully being on board with what it's doing? And I think that like my list is showing that for me, that is the thing. Like there, there is a level of nostalgia for the, the, the fantasy genre and for, um, like tabletop gaming that that onward spoke to me um, specifically that kind of gave it that 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 uh, extra bump um, plus like the, in Seoul it's one person's passion for a thing and in onward it's like the father's love for the children it's this the, the children's love for the father it's the ch children's passion for what things that they do and it's like it, it's it's just working on there, there's way more heartstrings that can be tugged um, by uh, by onward than soul, um, but but yeah, still still very happy to celebrate soul. Yeah, I mean, you could say onward is about a kind of cascade of mentors who are giving sparks to other people that have been watching and observing their behavior. That is true. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, usually we talk about looking forward to things in the next year, <laughs> right at the end of the episode. Yeah, what the hell is coming out this year? Do we? Are, is it just everything that was going to come out last year? <laughs> We're just assuming they're going to finally come I, out. I now. mean, I don't even know if that's going to happen for some things. I mean, we have basically everything from Warner Brothers um, that is yeah. going to come out on HBO Max. Um, so we're guaranteed to have reviews for those however many films that turns out to be. Yeah. Ne next top 10 is only going to be the top 10 different Snyder cuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, I mean, of the two people on this podcast right now, somebody said uh batman v superman wasn't so bad <laughs> yeah yeah it's true it's true I'll, I'll stand by it i i like i admire the weird failure 
maybe more than the mediocre success. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, any any closing thoughts about 2020, Stephen, in, in, in the film genre world? Yeah, in, in, in the film world. Um, most years, I think when it's about the fall that I'm going to have trouble coming up with a top 10 list. And then I'm surprised by how many movies I wind up coming up with. Usually that's because of some like last minute blitz when all the awards movies come out this year. It wasn't that way this year. It was just like films trickled in and because there wasn't a theatrical push, they never felt like big events the way that they normally do. But it, it was a totally good year for movies. Like plenty of great things came out this year. And I think if 2020 makes me feel a little worried about the future of the theatrical experience, it does give me hope that no matter what this thing we do will survive, like having films come out that we enjoy and want to talk about. Uh, I don't think anything can stop that from happening. So it, I don't know. It was kind of a pleasant surprise to realize that even in this fucked up year when so many things didn't come out and the things we watched were almost all non ideal situations, uh, it still managed to move and surprise me. So I do hope next year, though, we are recording this live from, I don't know, Tokyo or something, <laughs> just just to get out of these damn apartments. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree there. But yeah, so I, th I think for me, this year, um, film-wise, I think, like, there was lots of stuff that I that I enjoyed. Um, I guess I can't say lots, 19 things that I... <laughs> As I alluded to earlier, but no, no, there, there, there were more than that that I that I genuinely enjoyed. Just not that I would have contention um, for the list on. But I think I think I found it difficult this year to get excited about watching the next release. Um, there was always a there was a thing like for years. Like the the reason that I wanted to start this podcast is because like going to the theater to watch films is a thing that I did constantly. Like it was, it was my way to escape. I would watch movies alone. I would just go to a theater and get to experience this in a room full of people who are watching it for the first time. Um, and just like experience that joy of like rushing out on a Friday night to go see a new release with a bunch of people that are really excited to see that thing. Um, and I think, you know, even, even now over the, you know, before everything happened this year, like it's still a thing where it's like, you know, booking, having like trying to book those tickets early so you can get to see the thing rushing um, out of work to like hop in a lift and make it to the theater just in time um, <laughs> to be able to sit down and just like throw your bags under your chair, sit down, quickly order a beer and some food and just be like, I'm in it for the next two hours. This is going to be great. And like didn't have that for most this year. And I think that, you know, when we sat down to, to stream the festival releases, I got a little tingling of like, yeah, this is a festival thing. Like these are, mm -hmm. these are time gated. We have to specifically think about it now. Um, but besides that, it really wasn't until I hit stop recording um, on our podcast and then like switched over to my Apple TV to go watch Tenet <laughs> where I was like, this is the first I've felt like for several months. This is the first time I've like honestly felt like giddy anticipation for what I was about to watch. Um, and I, I just, I can't wait to have that again, to be able to sit down and, and like, you know, be angry that people are still walking in 
<laughs> and like using yeah. their phone to do like I, I miss I miss that frustration of like worrying that somebody else is going to ruin my experience. No, I, I I miss it too. Though I will say that because the theatrical experience was so important to me before. I had trouble getting into older movies. Like it was hard for me to go back and do my homework. Right. Yeah. Like I had tons of films that I was like, I should watch these. I want to have seen these movies, but I don't think I ever will. Uh, airplanes used to be my one excuse to cram them because you're sitting in a chair in the sky and there's nothing else to do. <laughs> um, and this year, because every movie came in the same way, a new film and an old film was kind of on the same playing field. So like, even though I only watched like 92, 95 new movies this year, as far as I know, I also got to do many dozens of older films, just like check off the list and kind of building a habit of like wake up early in the morning or stay up late and just go down a list of, hey, the 1980s were a period. What are like big movies in the 80s that I've heard of that I've never seen before and just queuing it up and enjoying it? Um, I hope that habit is something I can keep doing even when the world reopens and I'm back to watching Bratz 4 in theaters and hating the people <laughs> next to me. <laughs> when, when you were watching some of these older films, did you ever sit on your couch, tape your iPad to the back of a chair, pull it all the way against your knees, and then set your air purifier next to you on full blast and just, just to get that same experience of watching on a plane? <laughs> uh, yeah, I also... I. <laughs> I set my chair on vibrate too to just simulate turbulence. Um, and <laughs> I, I set up a drink next to me that I had like a robot spill <laughs> all over my lap just to simulate when like a person with their elbow kind of knocks over yeah. the cup of coffee next to you. It, it was good. It made me very nice. You just had Joanna come by and kick the back of your chair constantly as well. Yeah. Not that she would kick your chair on an airplane, but like, you need another person to no, do the kicking. She was, she was the baby in this in, in this instance. <laughs> She's acting as the baby in this interest. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I think that is about going to do it for our uh, our end of year episode where we recap the films of 2020. Um, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, thank you, Stephen, for... Uh, <laughs> for joining me i don't know (laughs) thank you thank you christopher for making me watch my favorite film of the year uh i forgot i I normally mention movies that i didn't catch that i wanted to catch uh usually that list is very small because living in san francisco we get to see almost everything um this year there were a few like minari is a movie that i've been wanting to see forever that literally i've not had any way (laughs) to see a promising young woman because I don't want to don a hazmat suit and go and watch it, yeah. you know, in an actual theater right now uh, and the world to come. Uh, so there are a few that for all I know could have made my list, but we're just going to have to wait till February or March or wherever, whenever A24 decides to actually release yep. them. And, but the interesting thing, though, about this whole thing that's happened is that most of the times when we make a list that includes things from a festival, sometimes we have no idea when those are ever going to get released. They all seem to be coming yep. out like th- within the first few months of, of 2021. So, um, yeah, that's cool. I mean, I mean, do we know when Shiva Baby is coming out? <laughs> that, that one, I don't know. That was actually that was that was in my contention list. <laughs> I really, yep. really. Yeah, I, I thought that could have been your number 10. Yeah, yeah that was that, I really, really enjoyed um, Shiva Baby. Um, but I was like, nah, I can't. I can't. Fast and night. <laughs> <laughs> all right 
Thanks everybody for listening. We will see you in our next review. <laughs> Bye. Bye.